microphone wrapped around my ear, and I am, I am jazzed up about being here. You know, Ben, thank you for sharing with us during Sunday school this morning. It was a real privilege for me. Not only did I get to sit and be taught for a change, but I got to sit next to my wife for the first time in a while at church. Um, that's kind of a, a unique privilege around here. Um, thank you, brother. For the good word, appreciate you. Um, ben forgot one important announcement. I think he's going to go on double secret probation next. Um, but uh, he forgot one important announcement. If you're an elder, a member of the facilities task force team, or the church health team, uh, we have a joint meeting of those three teams immediately after church. Um, so please uh, make plans to be there. If you've not made plans to be there, make plans to be there anyway. Okay, um, be an important meeting you'll need to be at. Uh, if you're here um, at Chillicothe Bible Church and you're new, uh, we want to just give you a kind of a clue of what we're about. Our job as a church is to, be a, is to be, first of all, a loving community, but then beyond that, to equip you to do some things, to equip you to serve uh, the body of Christ here with your spiritual gifts, to equip you to... Uh, worship God, to equip you to walk with Christ on a daily basis, and to equip you to share your faith with other people who don't yet know Christ. That's our job. Uh, and as you look at the Bible, and you look at what Jesus is about, and what Paul is about, and what John is about, that's what they're about. It's about being a loving community, first of all, and then training the members of that loving community to, to share, and to serve, and to... Um, walk with Christ and to worship God in a way that brings him honor and glory. So uh, we've been looking at each of those four aspects of the Christian life here over the last several months. I think I told you last week we started somewhere around last July going through each of those aspects of the Christian life uh, about lo being a loving community and about sharing your faith, which I'm so excited about Dave and his sister. That just thrills my heart. Uh, we got some gold stickers ordered. We're going to start decorating that sucker with stickers over there. Put a gold cross next to each person's name when they come to Christ so we can keep track of how many people have come to Christ uh, through the ministry of this church uh, and the people in it. Uh, we've looked at the spiritual disciplines about what's it mean to walk with Christ. How do you do that? How do you pray? How do you fast? How do you confess your sin? How do you study your Bible? All these things. We've looked at, uh, here the, last week we started looking at the, this whole area of spiritual gifts and using your gifts that God has given to each person in the body of Christ to serve one another. And we looked at Romans 12 uh, last week. This week we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, the whole book is written to a group of people who have screwed up virtually everything it is possible to screw up in the context of church. Okay, so they've got... Um, intra-church fights over um, all kinds of issues and factions that develop. You've got people getting drunk at communion, people seeing prostitutes, uh, people doing all kinds of screwed up stuff in the church. First uh, Corinthians is the problem child of Paul's ministry. And Paul writes uh, them two letters to try and straighten them out. Actually, he probably writes more than two. He probably writes a third one that is not included in our Bible, but nonetheless that Paul wrote, that he calls his painful letter that he wrote to them. Uh, and, for, and 1 Corinthians 12 is written to address this issue of people in the church who regard their spiritual gift, in this case tongues, as being the primary mark of a spiritual person. And they say, well, if... You know, it's fine to have a gift of prophecy or a gift of apostleship or a gift of teaching or a gift of service or a gift of giving or any of the, uh, multitude of gifts that are there. But if you're a really spiritual person on another whole plane up here, then you have the gift of tongues and you use that one. Okay? Now, uh, I'm not going to pick on the gift of tongues today. Paul picks on it entirely enough. Um, but just to say this as we get started that depending on what denominational tradition you come out of, uh, a lot of times a particular gift gets exalted in the church. 
In the historic church, a lot of times it was the gift of celibacy. Now, this is a gift that I prayed as a young man that I did not have. Okay? <laughs> um, Lord, please do not let me have that one. <laughs> um, okay, some of you, you're laughing. I assume you prayed the same way. All right. Um, uh, but in the historic church, a lot of people really regarded the gift of celibacy, of of being, as Jesus said, a eunuch for the kingdom of God, as being a mark of the really spiritual person. And in the church tradition that I grew up in, where we went to church five nights a week uh, and twice on Sunday, um, the gift of teaching was regarded as the gift, that if you were really spiritual, that you had that one. Okay? In the modern charismatic movement, a lot of times it's gifts of healing or of tongues or of something else. Uh, in fact, when I was in high school, one of the weirder experiences I've ever had is I, was, uh, I knew this girl that we had a prayer group together, about 50 of us before school on every day at our public high school. Um, and this one particular girl uh, was the evangelist for the gift of tongues uh, in our school system. And she uh, had me over to her house, uh, introduced me to her dad, because they were convinced that I was going to hell because I had not spoken in tongues. Okay, this came as a real shock to me, as you might imagine. Um, (laughs) Probably came as a shock to the Apostle Paul, too. But in any case, um, we want to look at the spiritual gifts. And I want to look at this this, uh, whole passage, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and wade through it because it has some important things to say to us. Actually, it has a lot of important things to say to us. Uh, we could probably spend a month or longer in 1 Corinthians 12. We're just going to spend this morning, okay? So uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 12 together. If you have your Bible, find your way there and follow along while I read. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And to another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all are the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may may have the same care for one another. 
If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the, great, the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, if you look with me at verse 1, um, you see that the first two words in that sentence are the words, now concerning. Okay, or at least that's how my translation reads. Uh, now concerning. Now, Paul does this a lot. He does this several times, in fact, over the course of the book. He does it in uh, chapter 7, in verse 1. He says, now concerning the things which you wrote about. And, he de- and this is his typical way of introducing a topic that's an answer to a question that they have asked. In chapter 7, it's about marriage and about sexuality. Uh, in chapter uh, seven twenty-five, he says, Now concerning those who are betrothed, those who are engaged, uh, here's my uh, word on that. Uh, in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, uh, in chapter 12, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. In chapter 16, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints who are in Jerusalem, these impoverished people that are part of the church there. Uh, and now, uh, in, in, uh, again, in chapter 16, verse 12, he says, now concerning our brother Apollos. Uh, every time you see that phrase in the book of 1 Corinthians, it's an introduction to a, to a topic about which the Corinthians have written Paul a letter and asked him questions. And that's important. Um, because in the church at, at Corinth, there's all kinds of questions surrounding uh, the issue of spiritual gifts, particularly the issue of the gift of tongues and how it's to be used. And Paul spends three chapters, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, addressing uh, spiritual gifts. And then eventually in chapter 14, gives some instructions on how the gift of tongues is meant to be used in the church. Um, and so he, he, gets, he gets into that. Um, and what the specific issue is, is that people in the church at Corinth, are those who have the gift of tongues specifically, are exalting themselves and looking down on everybody else and saying, you know, you're not really that spiritual. If you were really spiritual, you'd have this, you'd have tongues like me. And remember, as I said earlier, that can happen with any number of gifts. Just happens to be tongues in this case. Okay, uh, not there's nothing necessarily inherent to tongues itself that makes people do this. All right, people do this in all with all kinds of gifts, whether it's celibacy, whether it's teaching whether it's giving, whether it's poverty, whether it's whatever. Um, And they exalt themselves and look down on everybody else. And so Paul is trying to address these issues. And um, by way of doing that, he starts off in verse verse, uh, 1 to 3 to basically to remind them that you all are all on the same team that all who are Christians are spiritual. And all who are Christians are spiritual at the same level. In other words, there's no, uh, within, in, in Christian terms, there's no JV. There's no B team. There's no all-stars and pine riders, okay? Does that make sense? All right. Uh, and the way he does that is he says, look here. Now think about this, guys. You know that when you were pagans, now this is part of this is part of the church that were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Right? He says, now some of you and your pagan background, uh, you follow mute idols. Let's remember, in other words, the uh, the pit from which you were dug, right? 
Um, it's not that it's because you were such wonderful, enlightened, spiritual people that God welcomed you into his family. Amen? It's because God, in his grace, reached down and grabbed hold of you and pulled you out of there and turned you around from being led astray toward the living Christ. And to the other group, uh, he says, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Now, who's he addressing there? He's addressing people like himself who were Jews, who because Jesus died a, a death on a tree, regarded him as cursed. Because the Old Testament law said, cursed is anyone who hung, is hung on a tree. And so people like Paul, who were very zealous Jews, would say, Jesus is accursed. And he says, both of you, whether uh, Jews or Greeks, have had to come to the realization that not that Jesus is accursed, not that there is life and found in following an idol, but that Jesus is Lord. Now, how did that come about? By the Spirit of God. In other words, again, not because you were so wonderful. It wasn't because of your wonderful specialness that you came to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ. But because God, by his Holy Spirit, reached into your life and grabbed you and turned you around and gave you new life. So remember, we're all on the same team, and the ground is all level at the foot of the cross. Amen? All right. Um, everyone is a spiritual person, whether you have spectacular gifts, whether you have less noticeable gifts. Everyone is on the same team because they all experience the same salvation through the same Lord who sent the same Holy Spirit to indwell you, to empower you, to give you even, as Ephesians says, the faith to believe is a gift. And so the ground is level. So let's remember, we're all on the same team here, folks. Irrespective of how the Holy Spirit might choose to manifest himself, Every person who is a believer in Jesus Christ is therefore a spiritual person. Okay? Now, uh, after that, beginning in verse 4, he starts talking about the varieties of gifts. And there are a wide variety of gifts. And in fact, in this, in this passage, as you study the spiritual gifts, what you notice very quickly is that there's no one passage where all the lists line up. And so, I'm, I am of the opinion that... There's a lot wider diversity of gifts than sometimes even we recognize because Romans has a list and 1 Corinthians has a list and Peter has a list and there's a separate list in Ephesians and there's a wide variety of gifts. And so these are given as illustrations. They're not limited to just these, but these are given as illustrations of what some of the gifts are. And it's interesting here in, in verse 4, he says there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. The varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Uh, what's his point in that verse? He's saying it is a triune God that we serve. The Spirit, the Lord Jesus, and God, the Father, who give us these gifts. That the gifts that we have are come to us as a gift from the triune God. And it's not just the Spirit who is at work in us. It's also the Father and the Son. And I think the reason he brings that out is because we're meant to understand that just as there is unity and diversity within the Trinity, there is unity and diversity within the body of Christ. Every member of the triune God has a different function, but they are equal in power and dignity and nature. And within the body of Christ, we as believers in Jesus Christ have different functions, different roles that we perform. There are some who teach, some who give, some who serve, some who practice hospitality, some who lead, some who do all kinds of different things. And there's a diversity of function, but there's equality in dignity and nature and in... Uh, and in being, that we are all human beings created in the image of God, 
who were created to serve the one God who, who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who together operate in us and give us the gifts of the Spirit. Okay? Uh, by the way, if you want to understand how it can be that there is submission and authority and yet equality within a marriage and within a church, you better understand the Trinity. If you understand the Trinity, you'll understand these things as well. Because we as human beings are, are, exist and operate in imitation of the God in whose image we are made. And so just as in a marriage, so in the church, so in the triune God. The Father sends the, the Spirit and the Son into the world. The Son sends the Spirit into the world. Uh, the, the Son is even eternally submissive to the Father. And yet there is unity, there is dignity, there is equality within the persons of God. And they operate in equality and in a difference in function and yet in a unity of purpose together in us, in the church. Um, now, in Paul, in, in, down in uh, verse 8, he starts to talk about the different gifts that they are. And, and there's not a lot of information here to go on. Paul doesn't go into a lot of explanation to define all of these. And so there's debate back and forth between various scholars what each of these consists of. Uh, because a lot of times this is the only mention of a few of these in the entire Bible. This little blurb is all we get to go on in terms of what these are. But I'm going to give you my take based on my study of what these are. Uh, first of all, the word of wisdom or the utterance of wisdom is, I think, the ability to know the right course of action in a given situation. Remember, if you, if you uh, read your Old Testament about Solomon who prayed and was given the gift of wisdom. And it's the ability to know what's the right course of action in a given situation. That what would be the right thing to do here? And Solomon had supernatural ability to discern what the right path was. That's why he writes the gift of the book of Proverbs. That's why he writes Ecclesiastes. That's why he writes Song of Solomon. Is to share the wisdom that God gave him with us for our benefit. Uh, the word of knowledge, I think, is special insight into God's plans and purposes in a given situation. Why is this happening to me? What is God doing here? What am I? What is going on? And it's the ability to apply, I think, God's word to that situation in a special way that gives the person insight into what is going on in their life, okay? Uh, the gift of faith is supernatural ability to trust God and rely on him in spite of obstacles. Now, I have known people, and you have probably known them too, who uh, they, they have an idea that they believe is from God, and they start telling you about it, and you go, okay, I don't mean to be a pessimist here, <laughs> but let's think in terms of realities. There is no way that you are going to come up with that kind of money in that span of time. There is no way that this is going to happen, right? And they say, well, believe what you want, but I believe that God has told me this is going to occur, and a lot of times with some of those folks, it does. Probably the, the greatest illustration of this historically is a guy named George Mueller, who, like Pastor Ben, started orphanages, you know, this time in England. And, uh, and he never told anybody ever about any of his financial needs, which was kind of an interesting method for raising money. Uh, <laughs> right? If you have a lot of orphan kids, I mean, we have four kids, right? And we're going broke buying groceries for the four of them. He would have like 200 kids. And he would never let anybody know what his financial needs were. He would go into, you know, they, the cook would come to him and say, uh, Mr. Mueller, um, appreciate your faith in God, but, you know, there's no food in the cupboard. Uh, we're not going to eat tonight. 
and he would say, don't worry about it. And he would go into his room and shut the door and get on his knees and pray. And invariably, somebody would knock on the door. Hi, Mr. Mueller, I was uh, given this check and I was told to bring it here. And it would be for enough money to feed them for the day or to pay the light bill or to um, buy firewood or whatever it is that they needed. He would pray and God would deliver. I think that is the gift of faith in action to be able to trust God in spite of the obstacles that you see. Uh, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the kind of ability that people who are pioneer missionaries have to have. You know, there are a number of us who have been to Indonesia now. Um, and, and there are those who say, well, how can you make a difference in a country with 220 million Muslims and not even 100,000 Christians? And there are people who look at it that way, and there are the people who have the eyes of faith say this. Well, what an opportunity. That means everybody I meet is an unbeliever. <laughs> okay. Um, that's the gift of faith in operation. Uh, the gift of healing um, is the ability to cure diseases. Um, I'm not going to go into this too much, I, uh, I th except to say that I think sometimes what gets publicized on TV as the gift of healing is not the gift of healing. Uh, when Jesus healed people, when the apostles healed people, they got healed. And they stayed healed. Okay? Um, and this is the ability to touch somebody or to pray for somebody and to have them get healed. And flat get well. Now, I have never seen this gift in operation I would like to have it. I think it would be super cool. There's a lot of people, including myself, I'd like to use it on. All right? Um, but this is a real gift, and God really does do this. And just because I've never seen it doesn't mean that it's not there. Um, there are countless examples in the Bible of people having this ability. Jesus, Paul, Peter, uh, John, lots of uh, the apostles had this ability and used it to great effect to authenticate their ministry and to uh, meet people at the real point of their need. And God can and does do this. Um, like I say, I've never seen it, but that doesn't mean it's not there. All right? Uh, miracles is the ability to do what is naturally impossible, but which is possible for God. Okay, uh, it's the ability to do things like Elijah, you know, who prayed and called down fire from heaven. Now, I've never been able to do that in response to any of my prayers. Um, nobody, um, you know, nobody ever witnessed me call bears out of the woods on them for making fun of me. All right. Uh, but Elijah could do that. Um, by the way, I told the. Uh, told Marion Fisher this morning that if I'm picking ways to go out, the Lord and I have talked, and I have decided that what I would like is the chariot of fire on the way up to heaven. I think that would be cool. Any other method? Not so much. Um, but miracles is the ability to do things which are beyond the normal. You know, or you see Elijah as an example again, you know, who uh, flees Mount Carmel, runs ahead of a guy with two horses and a chariot and beats him back to town about a 40-mile race. Now, I've never been in that kind of shape, okay? In fact, I don't think that, um, oh, what's the guy, the, the, the guy on the bicycle, Tour de France guy? Lance Armstrong, okay? I don't think Lance Armstrong could do that on a bike, Beat, two, beat a guy in a chariot with two horses, and Elijah does it on foot. It's the ability to do miracles, things which are not normal, okay? Uh, prophecy is the ability to speak the special revelation of God, to be able to say authoritatively, thus saith the Lord, and have it be your utterance be equivalent to Scripture. 
Uh, to, uh, let's see, uh, discernment is the ability to, to recognize counterfeits and distinguish truth from error. Uh, there's lots of stuff that's being out there uh, as teaching. And the ability to distinguish this lines up with Scripture, this is right, this is true. This comes from the Spirit of God. This comes from a demon, from the spirit of Satan. Um, uh, Paul told Timothy, in the last days there will be terrible times and people will teach the doctrines of demons. And the ability to distinguish between what comes from the spirit of God and what comes inspired by a demon is an important ability. Distinguishing truth from error. Uh, tongues is the ability to speak in languages that are unknown to you. Uh, I don't believe this is, in other words, this is not gibberish. This is languages. Uh, these are, they're unknown to you, but they're definite languages. Okay? There are people who argue whether they're angelic languages, whether they're human languages. Uh, I've never experienced it personally. I don't know. But what I do know is, is that these are languages. And it's the ability to speak in languages unknown to you that you have not studied. That God supernaturally gives you the ability to communicate in another tongue. Uh, the interpretation of tongues is the ability. And this is in a, a worship context where somebody stands up and, and Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 gives the instructions on this. He says, two or at most three should speak, each in turn, and someone must interpret. And so... And if there's no interpreter, then the person who speaks in tongues should speak to himself and to God. But the interpretation of tongues is a way of enabling that person to exercise their gift of tongues and to have somebody who's there to interpret them so that the rest of the church can be edified because this is a language they don't know either. Okay? So there's an interpretation of tongues. All right. Now, um, in Paul in verse 11 goes back and he reiterates his point here that it's the Holy Spirit who gives all of these gifts, and therefore no one person should draw attention to himself on the basis of their gift. Because what is a gift? Something that's not native or normal or natural to you, right? You didn't, you didn't just um, say, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, now I can do this, right? <laughs> okay. If you did that, well, then you might have some basis for drawing attention to yourself. But these gifts are given to draw attention to Christ through you. And it's a gift that's given to you. Therefore, you can't claim any credit. Uh, it's not you who's responsible for the gift you have or the extent that you have of it. Because there's a diversity in ability even with that. The extent of the gift that you have comes from God. And we ought to recognize that just normally, right? Um, there are people in this congregation uh, I can outrun. There are other people in this congregation who would uh, outrun me, right? Who, at who apportioned those gifts? God did. Uh, there are smarter and not as smart people. There are people with um, great memories and people who forget where they put their car keys, okay? Um, I'm the, one, the type who have a great memory for, like, what the uniforms looked like at a particular battle in 1812, but not where my wallet is, all right? <laughs> um, Karen can testify on that. Um, but the different diversity of abilities that we have, whether intelligence or whether spiritual gifts or whether money or job or physical abilities or the body type that you have or whatever you have comes to you from the, from the Spirit of God who gave it to you. Everything you have is a gift from God. And therefore, we ought to focus on God, not on ourselves. Now, uh, last, like, 19 verses, we're going to chomp through this and really fast all right but um paul makes four big points in this in, in verse 12 to 30, 31 uh four major truths that are here and 
uh, and he's talking, his main point is that all of the parts of the body are interdependent with one another, that there's a mutual dependency that we all have on each other. Guys, back in the sound booth, have you got my, uh, my photos there? Okay, uh, why don't you put the first one up? Um, uh, verse, okay, there's a skeletal system, all right? Uh, the first one, um, it, when it, Paul introduces the body of Christ, he's talking about how in verse 12 that um, your fellow believers are important for who they are, not just what they can do. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all are members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. In other words, why is your fellow member of the body of Christ important? Because they're a member of the body of Christ. They're important for who they are, not just what their job is. And we're to treat one another with dignity and with respect and with honor because of who we are. We have an identity in Christ that gives us dignity and importance and value to the other members of the body of Christ, regardless of what our job is. And we're all equally members of the body of Christ. And that makes each individual member, whether Jewish or Gentile or slave or free or male or female or young or old or middle-aged or fat or skinny or whatever we are, that we are all valuable and important. Uh, who we are matters. And who we are is members of the body of Christ. Uh, that's verses um, 12 through 13 there, okay? Now, um, that's, that's a skeletal system. If you look at that, you see all kinds of parts, okay? You see femurs and pelvises and a coccyx and a sternum and a radius and an ulna and a humerus bone and all the little bones in your fingers, all the little ones in your toes, uh, your heels, your kneecaps, your cranium, your teeth, all kinds of little parts, right? I think there's 205 or something like that bones in your body. Um. Let's go to the next, uh, next slide, okay? All right, here's muscles. Okay, some of these you recognize, some of these you feel uh, when you go and work out, if it has been a while, you know, like that one that goes right there from your hip all the way down to your knee, right there, over the top right here. You go get on that exercise bike, and the next day you're like, <sighs> you know, every place you go, Right? Uh, you've got your abdominal muscles. You know, that's probably the best view on me that you're, uh, you're ever going to see of those muscles, right? Can't recognize them on my body, but I can recognize them on the picture. Uh, you've got your pectorals. You've got your latissimus dorsi. You know, those muscles that if you do those lat pull-downs, you get those kind of ridges here, guys, under your arms right there. Those are really cool. Uh, you got you got that... <laughs> tricep muscle right here that comes across, you know, it gives you that big cut right there on the back of your arm. Uh, you get your biceps, you know, all kinds of different muscles. You've got all kinds of muscles in your face that you can see there, right? Let's go to the next slide. Uh, this is your ear, okay? Um, you've got the outside part, you know, you either got the little hangy down ones or you got the attached ones, right? Um, you got your ear canal, comes back to an eardrum. Then you've got a hammer and an anvil, these two little tiny bones that resonate into your cochlea, which then goes to your auditory nerve, which goes to your brain to interpret sound so you can hear. And if any one of those little parts is not functioning or is missing, you can't hear. Let's go to the next one. This is your eye, this cross-section, okay? You've got your lens and your cornea. You've got the iris, the pupil, uh, going back into the vitreous humor, back to the uh, retina there with the rods and cones, uh, connecting back to an auditory nerve. You've got muscles that open and shut your eyelid. You've got the iris that regulates the flow of light into your pupil uh, so that when it's bright, your pupil gets smaller. When it's dim, your pupil gets larger so you can let in more light so you can see better. 
You've got those rods and cones that interpret that data before it sends it onto your brain, flips the image upside down so that you can see in color. Uh, every one of these little parts is important. A lot of them are unseen. Okay, cut, cut it off, guys. That's the last one. Uh, we're all part of the same body, and so there's no, one, no need for anybody to feel inferior because they don't have one of the more spectacular gifts. That's Paul's point, verse 14 to 20. He says, The foot should not say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. The ear, and if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of smell be? Uh, sometimes people have a tendency to look down on themselves. And to feel inferior because I don't have that gift or this gift or, or my gift isn't like that one that I would like to have. Now, and sometimes even pastors get into this. Uh, in, 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 my, um, in my ministry, I've sometimes thought, well, if only I could preach like Chuck Swindoll. That would be really cool. Some of you think, yeah, that would. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, Amen, brother. Preach on, okay? Um, if only I could share Christ like Billy Graham. Boy, that would be awesome. If only I could write like C.S. Lewis. You know, And you could start to measure yourself by somebody else and go, well, if I had their gift, that would be awesome. And then I could really be used of God. You know what Paul's point is? Everybody should feel important because they're part of the body of Christ. They're part of the body of Christ. And their function is important. And if they're not there, the body doesn't work in some fashion. Maybe your role is not to be the ear that everybody sees. Maybe your role is to be that little tiny bone in there, the hammer. Or the anvil. Or the cochlea that goes around in there. Maybe your job is not to be the tongue. It's to be the fingertip that is exquisitely sensitive when something hurts. Nobody is to feel inferior because they're part of the body of Christ. And God calls us to serve, not with somebody else's gifts, but with ours. Now, verse 21, he says here, What seem to be the weakest parts of the body, this little section here, uh, verse 21 to 26, what seem to be the weakest parts of the body are actually the ones that are the most indispensable. The ones we can't live without. There's no room for those with greater or more obvious gifts to look. Now, in other words, not just you can't just not feel inferior, but you shouldn't look down on other people who have different gifts than you. Right? Um, and by way of illustration here, this is, um, you may not know exactly what he's talking about because he's being very euphemistic here. But he's talking about those parts of our body that are normally always covered uh, unless you're in the shower. And these are not parts of our body that are greatly glamorous a lot of times, right? Uh, but these are parts of our body which are necessary. They have a function which is, which is high and honorable. Uh, part, parts of those parts are engaged in carrying on the survival of the species, right? And other parts of our, uh, what Paul calls our unpresentable parts, are involved in removing waste from our body. Guess what? If those don't function, you know what happens to you? You get sick and die, brother. If you don't, if you don't have these working, we got a problem. And you need to dial somebody more, more, uh, uh, you know, more closely related to you than Houston, right? Uh, we've got a problem right now. This is an issue. 
right? So you take your Metamucil, drink your water, etc., right? You need to have those parts function. Amen? Um, and, and sometimes we have parts of our body that are also unseen or unnoticed until we really need them, right? Uh, if you, how many of you have ever wrenched your back? Did that one time, one summer. I was working at a door and window factory. Uh, I was, that was about 75 pounds ago. And um, I was working at a door and window factory. I was a little bitty shrimpy guy at the time. And I shoved this door into a slot under this shelving unit. It's a big um, 6-0 door, so it's 72 inches wide. And I shoved this dude in there, and I wrenched my back right there along the spine. And I mean, I hurt for six months before it finally healed up. And I could turn like this and not have it go, <gasps> okay? Part of our body that we don't even notice is there. We're in a problem if it's hurt, right? Uh, and that's part of Paul's point. Don't look down on these parts of the body that you think are not important or that uh, we keep covered up or that go unnoticed. Because those parts of the body are essential. Um, if you don't believe me, hurt your back sometime. See how that goes. All right? You don't even notice it. You can't even see it. You can't even scratch it by yourself, right? Uh, but it's essential. If you want to get around, you want to get out of bed, you want to sit up in a chair, you want to do anything, you've got to have all those parts of the body working together. Um, and uh, when a part of the body is suffering, verse 26, everybody suffers together. And if one member is honored, everybody rejoices together. Why? Because we're all part of the same body. Right? Um, when one part of your body is honored, every part of your body feels great. When one part of you is suffering, well, you get a paper cut on your finger. I mean, you're like, you know, you're gimping around like some, you know, you get a sinus infection, you just lay there and moan. Oh, you know, every other part of your body is fine. It's just your head, right? But every part of your body suffers along with it. When I come home from, from the church at the end of the day and my wife kisses me, electricity goes out the end of my fingers, all right? Every, when my, that part of my body is honored, every part rejoices, right? Ah! <laughs> okay? Um, when, you have, when you have pain, every part of your body has pain. When you have honor, every part of your body has honor. It's the same way in the church, right? The last part here, verse 27 to 31 um, since no one has all the gifts, everyone is necessary. This is his point here. Um, you, are all, you are all the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles and then prophets and teachers and miracles and healing and helping and administrating, and then also various kinds of tongues. And, he's, and he raises this question, Do all are all apostles? And the implied answer, based on the Greek construction underlying that on each of these questions, is no. Not everybody's an apostle. Not everybody's a prophet. Not everybody speaks in tongues. Not everybody works miracles. We all have a diversity of gifts. No one has them all. And so everybody's necessary. Everybody's got to play. Um, apostles are important. They get the church started. Prophets are important. They compose the word of God. Teachers are important because they share the word of God. But leaders are important. Those people that he calls administrators has to do with steering a ship. Okay? They're important. Everybody's important. People who serve are important. And even people who have the gift of tongues, they're important too. Those them on at the end. Okay? I think to put them in a place where they recognize my gift is not preeminent. It's just one of these. Okay. Um, in verse 31, of course, he introduces the last, the next chapter. I'll show you the more excellent way. 
And the more excellent way is the way of love. We looked at that this last fall together, so we're not going to go into that this next week. But Paul's point in chapter 13, I'll just tell you, is this, that if you don't have love in the body of Christ, you don't have very much. Because all of these gifts are necessary. All of these gifts have to function. And they have to function in the spirit of love, of care and concern for one another. Um, I've got no time, essentially, to tell you how this applies to your life, but I'm going to do so anyway. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, years ago, Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called No Little People, and that was his uh, synopsis of this passage, that there are no little people in the body of Christ. There are also no all-stars. There's no little people. Nobody can, can feel either inferior or superior because they are all equally part of the body of Christ. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that we should be aware that even the most seemingly insignificant of us, if we were to be revealed as what we shall be in the day when we stand before God, if that was to happen to even the most insignificant one of us now, the rest of us will be very sorely tempted to bow down and worship. And we need to remember that. That even the most seemingly insignificant one of us is going one day to have a glory beyond imagination. And so we need to treat one another with honor and dignity today. And your gifts, second of all, are not for you, but for everybody else. If you have a gift, whatever it is, it's not for your benefit. It's not for your exaltation. It's for the exaltation of Christ in the body of Christ to the people of Christ. So that you can make him known in the way that you do to everybody else. Whether through serving, through giving, through leadership, through teaching, however you serve. You're to serve everybody else, not yourself. And then finally, because everybody is needed and important, everybody's got to play their role to the max. Right? One of my favorite bumper stickers I see on cars is the one that says, drive it like you stole it. Right? In other words, get on that thing. Get your foot in the pedal and go. Right? And if I could tell you something today about how you're supposed to use your spiritual gift, use your spiritual gift like you stole it, okay? Um, use it to, uh, to the fullest extent that you can find. Use it to the maximum benefit of everybody else. Use it as much as it will, as much as it can be used. You know, the goal when you get to heaven is not to re return your gift pristine in the box, right? It's to return it abused and beat up and wore out and with the paint all coming off. Use it to the max, all right? Let's pray and then we'll take communion. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you.